Hey there, Pastor Mark Jordan here from Hope Church. Thank you for stopping by and welcome to our online ministry. While you're here, make sure to subscribe to our podcast so you can stay up to date on all the content that's released. And while you're online, visit us at our webpage at placeofhope.org. Hope Church is on a mission to introduce people to Jesus and fuel their love for Him. And we hope that this message today is helpful and inspiring for you as you continue to take your next step on your faith journey. Once again, thanks for visiting us and make sure to check us out at placeofhope.org. I sure am glad to see you. If you are worshiping with us online this morning, a very warm and special welcome to you as well. I am thrilled that you are here as we all come together and gather today to continue our series about nothing. Now, of course, we're not talking about nothing today. I shouldn't use double negatives in a sentence, but This is a series where we are looking at various uses of the word nothing and the concepts that surround those throughout the scripture. When we started our series about nothing, we talked about how nothing is impossible with God. And the core piece of that is the fact that there is nothing that you can do that will separate you from the love of God in Jesus Christ and nothing that you can do that would prevent your salvation. So when we talk about nothing in the scripture and nothing being impossible to God, we are really talking about your salvation. And so I hope that uh, if you had an opportunity to be a part of that message, that you began to think about your own life and your need for salvation and God's gift of salvation in a little bit of a different way. Then last week, we talked about how we are to do nothing out of vain conceit or selfish ambition. And that really is how do we look at ourselves in contrast and in contact with the rest of the world. So part one was really about our relationship with God vertically. Part two was our relationship with God horizontally and with other people. And today we are going to be taking a very distinct look at our individual lives. So, and the fact that we all live in this thing that was called human nature. So as we looked at last week to springboard into this week's content, you'll notice that we are to first look to serve God and other people. The thing about vain conceit and selfish ambition is we're looking out for self first. Having the mind of Jesus means that we look for ways to serve and we look for ways to honor God first. And then secondly, we talked about feeling empathy and acting compassionately. Empathy is our ability to feel what someone else feels and compassion is the ability to act accordingly. And what we looked at last week, specifically as it pertains to vain conceit and selfish ambition, is that we can oftentimes feel without acting or act without feeling. And to have that mindset of Jesus brings the two together so that we can both empathize with what someone else may be going through, but also to deal with it compassionately, because that is how Jesus approached us and approached the world, is he did not consider his status or stature with God. I almost combined those two words, but you got me. Jesus did not consider his stature or status with God something to lord over other people, but to use that in such a way as to help people get to know who God is, and he wants us to do the same. And so as we move into this content today, we're talking about how there's nothing new under the sun, and specifically about human nature. Something that I have really grappled with 
over the last couple of years, particularly as we see some of the things that have been happening in the political sphere that are bleeding over into everyday life, things like inflation and violence and social and civil unrest and war, uh, those types of things, uh, I got to a point where it felt as though we were the first generation or only generation to ever have to really worry about those types of things. And I really felt that way and I thought that way for several weeks or so. And then it wasn't until I was going through the scripture, I was doing a Bible in a year program at that point, that it occurred to me going through the chronicles and through the judges and through the kings that part of human nature, even with Moses who was leading God's people, even Jesus who was there worshiping and working and serving, that even when people had that direct contact and connection with God— we as human beings found a way to mess it up, didn't we? Adam and Eve did it. The Israelites did it. Even the disciples did it. Having that direct, close contact with Christ, with God, with God's servant, even with God himself in the Garden of Eden. We just had a way to foul things up. And why is that? It gets back into our human nature. And so when we look and we consider this idea about nothing being new under the sun, we can look throughout the chronicles of, of Scripture, not just the chronicles in Scripture, but of Scripture, and realize that throughout human history, we have gotten to a point where it looks and it feels and it seems and it, it's just like we've finally gotten it right. We are finally heading in the right direction, doing the right thing. And then we get a few years or a generation apart from the problems that we faced in the past. And guess what ends up happening? We succumb to that human nature. We start backbiting. We start questioning God's reality or questioning God's motives or questioning God's judgment. We start questioning everything and setting up ourselves as the arbiter of right and wrong. Am I stepping on any toes yet? I'm wearing my dressier shoes today, so be careful. I'm a little harder sold. Anyway, there's nothing new under the sun. This is a phrase that actually comes from Ecclesiastes chapter 1 verse 9, which is on the next slide. I recognize that I have a, I have a typo here. I apologize for that. It's correct in my notes and it's correct in the apps. But the actual Bible reference is Ecclesiastes 1 9. And this was written by Solomon, who was the son of King David. Solomon wrote most of the Proverbs, wrote the book of Ecclesiastes. And what Solomon observed and what he wrote is that what has been will be again. And what has been done will be done again. Because what? There is nothing new under the sun. So why is it that we get kind of self-centered in a way where we think that the things that we're going through the only th is, is the first time it's ever happened in history? Well, one of the reasons is that there are things that come with each successing generation that can make it feel and look and appear as though this is brand new. One of the things that I think creates this mindset in our current world is the advent of social media and technology where things that happen right now uh, can be broadcast all the way around the world uh, within a matter of moments. You know, it used to be during the time of uh, scripture or even in the time of, say, the Civil War, World War II, it may take days or weeks or longer in order to get news out around. But now, within a matter of moments, we can broadcast things that are happening clear around the world. And so even though that is a dynamic that is unique to this generation, 
all it does is enables us to point more readily and more quickly at things that have been happening throughout human history. Does that, does that make sense? Are you with me there? That the things that are part of our human nature, the things that cause us to fall, the things that cause us to get so self-centered and self-focused, all that stuff isn't necessarily changing or different. It's just our ability to understand it or see it or perceive it. Well, well that can and does change. It's been said that history repeats itself, and if you don't learn from it, you're doomed to repeat it, right? It's also been said that history might not repeat, but it does rhyme. And we can see all of these things, even when you turn on the news every single day, and see things that remind us of stuff that happened a few decades ago, a few centuries ago, a few millennia ago. Why? It's because of our human nature, our fallen selves. And when I say fallen, I mean fallen away from God's original design and plan and God's purpose for our lives. So when we read this verse and we see that what has been will be again, what has been done will be done again, because there is nothing new under the sun, that almost sounds defeatist and fatalist, doesn't it? There's nothing I can do about it. What's done has been done. It's been happening. It's going to happen again. And we can find ourselves feeling fatalistic or defeatist about our human nature. Friends, even though there is, of course, a bright red ribbon of truth that is woven all throughout that, what this does and what Solomon was doing before Jesus was born or crucified or resurrected, Solomon is trying to point us beyond our fatalistic and defeatist attitudes about human nature and life in this world. He's trying to point us to God's reality. Even back then, even though it seems like he's saying, well, you know, what's been done what's happened is going to happen again. You know, we've all messed up. We're going to mess up again. We've made mistakes. We're going to make mistakes again. Yes, but that's not the point and the crux of what it is that Solomon is trying to convey because he's trying to point us to the reality of God. As you read continuing through Ecclesiastes, Solomon tells us that God has been, is, and will continue to be revealing himself to the world. The scripture gives us two primary ways that God reveals himself to the world. The first is through creation. We get that point, that hint there as we read that there's nothing new under the sun. Think about creation. When was the last time you stood at the, the seashore, stood at the top of a mountain, you stood in the forest, you're fishing on a lake, what, you're out in creation, and you just sense and feel and are humbled by the majesty and the awe-striking power of God. The scripture tells us that God reveals himself to us through creation. That's why we get these, these tingles, or as Thumper would say, and maybe we get Twitter-pated when we get out in creation, we're at the seashore, when we're on the mountaintop, because it's in those moments we feel closer to God because we are. God reveals himself to us through creation, but not just solely through creation. God also reveals himself to us through his word. And we see a word like this from Ecclesiastes 1.9. God is revealing himself to us that we have this sin problem. We have this thing within our human nature that causes us to want to, to do things with the intent of vain conceit and selfish ambition. We want it for me, myself, and I first. Yet there's nothing impossible for God so we can still be saved even when we get it wrong. Praise the Lord, right? And that brings us to where we are today. That even though there's nothing new under the sun, what it is that God is trying to reveal to us is that there is hope even in the midst of life when it feels hopeless. And so when we read a verse like this, that there's nothing new under the sun, we might be inclined to feel hopelessness because of all of the, the tension and the struggle and the strife in which we live. 
But the message of the gospel is to look beyond that with hope that God's way wins in the end. And this isn't just hope in terms of wishful thinking. Like, I hope the Braves win this afternoon, but whether or not they do really has no bearing on my life. But I hope that the power of God's love and mercy will continue to shine through. Even when we turn on the TV and we see war in Europe and we hear about all of the civil unrest and the struggles and the strife, when we go to fill up our vehicles and the gas is 40, 50% more than it was a year ago. Those things that can cause us to feel like, oh, there's nothing new under the sun. These types of things have happened before. They will happen again. That should not cause us to feel as though hope is lost, but to put our hope where it really, truly belongs. Is it easy? No, but it's possible. And one of the things that we have to come to grips with is our own sense of self-awareness of our human nature and those areas where I like to talk about the gap that we experience between our belief and our behavior. We have a quick clip from Seinfeld today. It's a, it's a clip between Kramer and George Costanza. George is probably my least favorite character in the Seinfeld uh, group of friends. Um, and you know, not because I have anything against Jason Alexander, who was the character for it, but because George is kind of an archetype and reflects human nature. And I see so much of myself, at least down at that just rank human side of George and some of my own tendencies and temptations. And so we're going to watch a clip really quickly between Kramer and George where, you know, if you know anything about Kramer, he's always calling out people for the absurdities that he sees around him as he has no filter. And then what he does in this interaction with George is he calls out that gap between George's experience of reality and his actual expression of reality. So let's watch our clip from Seinfeld together. Look at you. Now, Kramer, don't start. No, no. no. You're wasting your life. I am not. What you call wasting, mm. I call living. Uh-huh. I'm living my yeah, life. Well, okay. Like what? No, no, tell me. Do you have a job? No. You got money? No. Do you have a woman? No. Do you have any prospects? No. You got anything on the horizon? Uh. No. <laughs> Do you have any action at all? No. Do you have any conceivable reason for even getting up in the morning? I like to get the daily news. Do you see yourself at least a little bit in George Costanza? I mean, not technically or specifically, but oftentimes we do kind of live in this gap between the way that we see the world in the way that we wish the world was. Fortunately, since there's nothing new under the sun, the scripture has some ways for us to address this and to find a little hope because everything is about pointing us to God and God's plan for redeeming us and redeeming the world. So let's look at our next Bible passage, which comes from 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 3 through 5. 
Friends, this is one of those passages that is so rich and so deep. Uh, We're going to unpack it for a few moments. And as we do, I want you to really think about your own life in it. And I'm going to, basically three ideas I'm going to pull forth from it. But this is the text that we have from 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 3 through 5. This is the Apostle Paul writing. He says, I care very little if I am judged by you or by any human court. Indeed, I do not even judge myself. My conscience is clear, but that does not make me innocent. Oh, isn't that the truth? It is the Lord who judges me. Therefore, judge nothing before the appointed time. Wait until the Lord comes. He will bring to light what is hidden in darkness and will expose the motives of the heart. God help us. At that time, each will receive their praise from God. Three roughly things I want us to to think about really quickly here. The first thing that Paul talks about is he cares very little if he is judged by another person or even by a human court. He doesn't even judge himself. That's a pretty unique thing to read and to see because his life before he was the apostle Paul, when he was Saul of Tarsus, he was full of judgmentalism. He was full of judging people's motives. This is why he says, my conscience is clear even though I'm not innocent. And that speaks to all of us. How can we find a clear conscience even though we're not innocent? It's that relationship with God where we confess our sins knowing that he is faithful to forgive them. And when he forgives us, he removes our sin from us as far as the east is from the west. But what Paul is talking about here as it terms or in the terms of judgmentalism is actually contextually something a little bit different from just the idea of judging in general, just a general judgmentalism. Because what was happening in Corinth was Paul and some of the other apostles were going out and they were planting these churches. And Corinth, my friends, was a very, very icky place. It was full of debauchery. It was full of hedonism. It was full of sin and brokenness. And Paul and the other apostles are going out and they are planting these churches who had never heard about Jesus or even had any real context from the Jewish faith. But he was going out there. They were going out there and they're planting these churches in these areas that were so full of sinfulness and humanity and all the things that we see going on around us, right? And they're planting these churches to be beacons of hope and light. Different apostles were planting different churches in different communities. And one of the things that began to happen, as is so consistent with human nature, is people began to judge their own sense of value and worth based on the church where they attended. Or based on their connectedness to the apostle who planted the church in their own community. And it sounds absurd on the surface, but are we really all that different We may attend this church or church around the corner or whatever and begin to feel that we are superior because we go to such and such church. And that is absolutely ridiculousness. Even though I have to say that our church is the best. I'm sorry, I'm sorry. I'm violating the whole (laughs) letter of the spirit, spirit of the law. But in all seriousness, we see this happening. I saw it happen in... My very first full-time appointment where I was the solo pastor, uh, let alone senior pastor. It was, you know, this was a staff meeting for me. It was me and a cup of coffee. 
And uh, it was an amazing experience for me because as we were planning this church in North Forsyth County, we took a small little group and we began to see it grow. We began to see that ministry take off and do new and neat things in the community. And people were taking note. Now, there was a mega church right down the street that had thousands and thousands of people every single week. But I loved what we were doing. And sometimes it was hard to not judge or base our effectiveness based on the effectiveness of the church down the street or around the corner. You know what I'm saying? But to really be true and honest with who we were. And then we had this family come in. And they moved clear across the country. They were from the Saddleback Valley in California. Now, if that rings any bells... The Saddleback Church, which was planted and founded by Rick Ward, who wrote The Purpose Driven Church and The Purpose Driven Life, and uh, had thousands and thousands and thousands of people that go and attend their worship celebrations every single week, they attended that church. And when they came to our congregation, our new church start, they walked in as though they had something to offer us because they went to Saddleback. And you know what was weird? I gave in to that. I was like, ooh. There's got to be some things I can learn from you and about what Pastor Rick Warren in Saddleback was doing. And all of a sudden, I began judging the effectiveness of our church there and coming based on the effectiveness of the church down the street and a church clear across the country. And I found myself sinking into this idea that there are times when we can judge our own value or our worth or our effectiveness based on humanly, worldly, earthly things. That does not honor God. So what the Apostle Paul talks about is to remember that regardless whichever church where you go and you attend worship services, or regardless of whoever the founding pastor is or the current pastor is or whoever, whatever, right? That our connectedness is not to a location. Our connectedness is not to flesh and bone because all of these things can, will, can and will fail. Our connectedness is to Christ Jesus and Christ Jesus alone. Wherever it is that we worship, whoever it is that is serving that congregation, our connectedness isn't to a person or a place. It is to the Prince of Peace, the Savior of the world. Our connectedness is to Christ and to Christ Jesus. And so that's how Paul can say, I am connected to Jesus Christ, and I've done some awful things. I may not be innocent, but my conscience is clear. And as a result of that, I am going to try to continue to point other people with my life to Jesus, not because of who I am, but because of who Jesus is. But in the way that this plays out, when we encounter other people in places like Corinth, which is full of debauchery and hedonism, we may run the risk of not just judging circumstances and places based on where they are, who they are, but on things that they do. We can become judgmental toward other people based on their behavior part of this human nature struggle that every single one of us deals with, and correct me if I'm wrong, but I don't think I am, is that we judge eternal effectiveness based on snapshot moments, right? We take a look at where things are right here and right now, and if we are not careful, when we see that gap between reality and expectation, we can begin to grow cynical and think and to fear that we are not getting it right, or to think and fear that we are on the wrong page. When it may just be that is exactly where God wants and needs us to be so that we can continue to grow and be more like him and Jesus. We've got to come to grips with some of our tendency to compete and to compare with other people, other churches, other whatever. And find our connectedness in Christ and Christ alone. Here's an example for you. It's something, it's a devotion that I, I wrote. And uh, it talks, it, it, the whole idea is about our steps, right? We liken the faith 
journey to a walk. And early on, when we are learning to walk in the way of faith, we may walk more like a toddler than a finely tuned athlete, right? And how is it that toddlers walk? They walk like Frankenstein, right? And they're constantly falling down, bumping into things, knocking things over. And if we were to judge someone's ability to walk as an adult who's taken, you know, maybe billions and billions of steps over your lifetime, based on how you started walking when you were a toddler, you never would get beyond the cruising mode where you're constantly just holding on to the side, kind of like I used to do when I go roller skating, right? You'd never move beyond just the initial step and stage. Rather, what we do when we see a toddler doing some of that Frankenstein wobbling, Frankenstein wobbling. You say, come on, you can do it. One step at a time, one foot in front of the other. If you fall, you help them up. If they slow down, you help them speed up. You help keep them going in the right direction. This is how we liken our faith journey to our walking. If we only judge our ability to walk based on our first handful of steps, then we will never continue striving. We will never continue looking and hope for the fact that God really, truly does have a plan that will succeed in the end. Remember, nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. And as a result of that, all of these things that are happening in the world are working together for good for those who love Jesus. So we cannot get so caught up in judging the totality of things based on the snapshot moments that we see in each particular moment of time. So Paul encourages the churches in Corinth to not judge things based on as they appear right in that moment, but to allow things to unfold and to trust God's work and movement at the appointed time. Which means we have to be brave enough and confident enough and humble enough all simultaneously, right? To say it is not my job to judge. God is the judge. And he will judge based on what he sees and what he knows and what he believes and what he set up in life when that time comes. And that is so hard for us because we do tend to compare ourselves with other people, compete with what other people are accomplishing or are doing. That is not our job. Our job is to connect our lives to Christ and trust God. Trust God to see all things through to their point in time. But we still have to deal with our human nature, don't we? So I want to ask a question. The question is going to be on the screen. Are you a judge? Yes. Of course we are. Every single one of us. We're constantly judging things. We know Jesus says, judge not lest ye be judged yourselves. For the same measure of judgment that you put onto someone else, that same amount of judgment is being given over to you as well. Are you a judge? Absolutely. Every single one of us are. Every single one of us is a judge. We judge God. When we turn on the news and we hear things that are happening in the world, it's like, God, if you would only listen to me, I will tell you how this should go. Right? We all do this to some degree. Or we become hopeless. And that all the corruption and debauchery and stuff that we see in the world, that it will win in the end. It won't. If you're a person of faith, God's way wins in the end. We can judge God based on how we see things happening. We certainly judge other people 
We have this tendency to judge other people and think about who they are based on those snapshot moments that we talked about. But we also can judge ourselves. We oftentimes judge ourselves, sometimes for better or for worse, but the reality is that we are judging ourselves. So how does this judgment oftentimes work? There's a quote on the next screen that I think says it pretty well. We tend to judge ourselves based on our best intentions and others on their worst actions. Have you ever found this to be true? We tend to judge ourselves based on the best intentions and others on their worst actions. I believe it was Stephen Covey that said that or brought that to light. Think about it in your own life, right? And those snapshot moments versus how things play out over the course of days, weeks, months, a lifetime, centuries, eternity. We do have this tendency to judge ourselves based on our best intentions and others on their worst actions. And that creates scenarios that are practically impossible for anyone and everyone to overcome. I think about how I can judge God and others and self with this idea that my intent, my motives are always pure. They're always correct. They're always right. But then I see someone else. I'm like, nah. Many of y'all noticed and pointed out that I'm down 52 pounds from a year ago. I tell you what, I feel, I feel fantastic. A lot of people have asked me, you know, what's been the secret? And I was like, well, paying attention to what I eat. I know that sounds so simple, but one of the things that I was so guilty of doing was I was, you know, I would keep in mind what I was eating, but I wasn't paying attention to the, um, the handful of M&Ms that I would get when I walked past a candy dish and I'd scarf those down. Or I'm the one that does, you know, most of the cooking in the house, and I'm constantly tasting things as I'm cooking, and I'm taking a bite as I scoop up for everybody else, and when it's over, you know, if there's two or three bites left, I don't want to throw it away. I was going to go ahead and eat it. I wasn't taking account of those types of things, and as a result, I was probably eating twice as much as I thought I was eating, and I was always curious, why in the world is, am I unable with all the exercise and stuff I do to, to actually, actually lose weight? But there was one other thing that I was not being completely honest and sincere with myself, even though I made light of it in a lot of my preaching and teaching, was that I am prone to binge eating. I am prone to comfort eating, or what I like to call automatic eating. And that's those point. I mean, that gets to that point where you stand at the pantry, the refrigerator, or wherever, and you say, it is on. And there's nothing that is going to slow me down, nothing that is going to stop me. I will not even feel full as I am burrowing through our pantry like a groundhog, right? And once I finally worked on some techniques to try to get that under control, really paid attention to what I was eating, the weight started falling off, and I feel fantastic. I feel so much better. This past week, I succumbed a little bit to some automatic eating. It mainly had to do with pork rinds and buffalo chicken dip. It was a great combination. And you know I love pork rinds and ranch. So um, as I was almost about to finish up Tiffany's, uh, Tiffany's side of the dip bowl, I went and got the ranch. I'm just sitting there. I'm just, you know, the, the, the poor bag of pork rinds, poor pig that sacrificed itself for me. Yeah, then I started feeling guilty. I was like, yeah, I haven't done this in a long time. I haven't done this in ages. And then the human nature kicked in. It's been a long week. I've gone two weeks without having any time off. It's been extra 
stressful as we get ready to say goodbye to the preschool kids. We've got all these extra events. I've got these late nights and these early mornings. I deserve. I deserve it. But I see someone else binge eating. Like, put down the fork. Fix a salad. Run a lap. Best intentions. Worst actions. And I know that this is true because that was me a year ago. When I would give in to that temptation. Well, I didn't get fat overnight. I didn't get skinny overnight, so it's on. And what do we end up doing? Cramming. Shoving. Covering. Rationalizing. Reconciling and then ultimately judging. I know this because my inner dialogue, my self-talk, was full of, you lack self-control. All that work you do, walking or running or lifting weights, you're just wasting it. Put down the fork. Go eat a salad. Go run a lap. That was my inner dialogue. I would say things like, you're a failure. Slob. Tiffany would oftentimes correct that. And I'm glad. Because that's not how someone who was created in the image of God should ever feel about him or herself. Or anyone else who God has created and said, that is very good. And of course, God himself. Who makes and creates and shapes and saves us from our own human frailties and weaknesses. So, we need to be patient as all of us are on this process of becoming more like Jesus and trust God to do the work that he's promised to do because as the scripture tells us, he is faithful to see it through to completion. Can I get a witness? So God is at work bringing you and your struggles and your failures and your foibles. God is at work trying to bring these things to completion because of his love for you in Christ Jesus, the very same one who gave of his life that you might know what it means to live. But the reality is, is that even while we're struggling, that doesn't give us permission to continue to give in to our more hedonistic and debaucherous approaches to living, we need to strive to do better. And why is that? That's because of Hebrews 4.13. We read that nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give account. This is the same God who is going to ask you to give account to things based on your own motives, the way that you judge other people, the way that you judge yourself. God is going to take account for all of it. And we get to a certain point in our lives, we feel like, well, I'm not going to mess up again. And everything may appear to be pristine on the surface. But deep below, where those motives lurk, there are things that we must continue to be mindful of. The things that are hidden. The things that must become uncovered and laid bare. The things for which you will be asked to give account. The other day, I was brushing my teeth, getting ready to come to the church. And uh, after I brushed my teeth, I looked down in the sink, and I noticed there was about two inches of water. The drain was open. And we had this beautiful, pristine, white porcelain sink. And I looked down and said, oh, I guess I better 
plunge that before I leave. And so I went and got the plunger, and I, I put it in there, and I started plunging. And I wasn't really saying glory, glory to a Georgia, but it seems like it was fitting for the time for now. Uh, so I'm sitting there plunging the sink, and then you know what happens when you start plunging the sink, don't you? All this disgusting yuck, stink, ick begins to come up to the surface. And I look down in that, and I can see, I mean, not in reality, but I can see shaving that I'd done. All those little whiskers and shaving cream. I can see the antibacterial foaming hand cleanser that I use. It smells so good. Bubbling up there. I can see the toothpaste. I can see all the stuff that I look at in my life. This is all I am clean on the outside. I'm presentable. But as it goes down below, guess what happens? It settles. It sinks. And it stinks. Until those time comes when the plumbing gets so clogged and congested that you got to do some work with it. Friends, this is true for our lives spiritually as well. All these things that we do that we try to help keep our outer appearance in Christ clean. Right? We read the Bible. We go to church. We give to church. We, we uh, read Pastor Mark's devotions because they're changing our lives. I'm kidding. Uh, but, you know, the things that we do that we think are, are, are really, really good. But there are still those things deep below that even when we're trying to do our best to clean up our act, just ends up accumulating junk and gunk and gradu in our lives. Gradu is the word that I coined when I was a toddler to describe something that was really, really nasty and disgusting. The natural parts of life and living that accumulate beneath the surface. There are those times that we have to give the gradu its due. And we need to do some spiritual plumbing. Maybe this is one of those times for you right now. Where you've allowed all this gunk and junk and gradu to accumulate in your soul. The outside you look fine. Things are going Apparently, pretty well. But deep down, there's still that stuff that just accumulates. And it stinks. And it's disgusting. Those are the things for which we must give account. I've got a nothing checklist for you today as we bring this message to a close. The first is, in light of everything that we've covered this morning, do you see any of that gradu in your soul and think that you're hopeless don't be hopeful that the one who started the good work in you is going to be faithful to see it through to completion there's nothing new under the sun you are not surprising or shocking God but God wants to surprise and shock you with his love and grace and his mercy amen so be hopeful even when you're struggling to continue to strive to live for God And don't judge prematurely, whether that's yourself, whether that's God, or that's someone else or circumstance that you see. Recognize that all things are working together for God. And God is going to bring all things together for good for those who love him. So don't judge prematurely. Allow God to work things out according to his time and according to his plan and according to his purpose. And since nothing is hidden from God, there are things deep down beneath our surface for which we need to make an account. God will save you and remove your sin from you as far as your east is from the west. Why? Because nothing is impossible for God. May we not judge 
prematurely because to do so means that we are doing something out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. And God says, do nothing from that approach. And as we realize that there's nothing new under the sun, the things for which we struggle with and we strive for, even those things that lie beneath the surface are the things for which we need to unburden ourselves and give account. So as the band comes forward this morning to close out our service, I want to ask you, what is it that you need to come and give account to God for? We're going to open up the altar here. You can come and join me because i got plenty to pray for for my own life. And I'm happy to pray for you, with you, if you'd like. But to think about that sin in your life that lies beneath the surface, the gradu that clogs us up and we need some soul plumbing, the ways that we tend to judge the world and other people based on their worst actions juxtaposed to our best intentions and to remember with confidence that nothing is impossible for God and that includes saving your soul. Will you pray with me please? Living and loving God, I thank you for today and I thank you for how it is true that there's nothing new under the sun, but forgive us for those times when we look at that and we think all hope is lost because no hope is found in you and I give you thanks for that Lord God. I give you thanks that you are continuing to work things together for good for those who love you and you're going to be faithful to complete the good work that you've begun in us. And Lord, as we acknowledge that we are so prone to judge ourselves or other people or even you based on our best of intentions according to the worst actions that we see, help us to also be mindful of the things for which we need to give account for the stuff that is sticky and stinky in our lives that we may do some soul plumbing this morning and come clean with you, giving account for what we need you to do in our lives. And so, Lord God, as we come to this point in this service and in this series where we kneel before you in humble acknowledgement that we need your saving grace in our lives, I pray that you pour it out on us to redeem us from our shortcomings, to restore us to that image and that purpose for which you've created us in the first place, to deploy us out into the world, help other people know that you are real and you love us and you have a plan and a purpose for our lives. So, Lord, God bless us and keep us. Direct us according to your way. So we might shine your light to let people know that you are real. And we may serve in your name to let them know that you are really good. It's in the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen and amen. Thank you again for joining us today. We are glad that you stopped by. Again, we want to encourage you to visit us online at placeofhope.org. If you're in the Paulding County area, there you can get service times, directions, and information about all of our awesome activities for children, for students, and for adults. Again, Hope Church is on a mission to introduce people to Jesus and fuel their love for Him, and we hope to provide you the heart fuel you need to follow Jesus. Thanks again.